Welcome to Digging Deeper in Grace, a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Our goal each episode is to dig deeper into the scriptures with a focus on our most recent sermon. And now let's dig deeper. Hello, I'm Bart Sheridan, and today very pleased to welcome Adam Hammett to the table. Adam and I will be discussing the recent sermon here at Grace Baptist Church. That was the third installment in our current series from Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. And Adam, first things first, let's just get this on the table. Uh, this has been somewhat of a unique couple weeks for you and, and your wife, Rachel. And for those of who haven't joined us at Grace the past couple Sundays, you may not know that the church's Council of Elders is recommending that the church affirm Adam for our new pastor of administration position. So Adam, uh, give you a time here up front just to give us a little taste of what the, the past couple of weeks has been like for you and Rachel and the family. Sure. Thanks, Bart. It's It's been a whirlwind, and this is really the culmination of a long process that we've gone through as a family and really as a church family as we've kind of wrestled with um, just a sense of unsettledness and in terms of what the Lord would have us do and how the Lord would have, have me leverage what He's given me a passion and a zeal for. And I won't go into the details here, but I'm happy to do so in other venues, uh, in the end, I just have a real settled assurance that I'm supposed to see this process through, and I'm excited to interact with people. And it has been somewhat of a whirlwind. Uh, because I'm an internal candidate, it's been um, possible to kind of spread out the candidacy over a number of weeks, and that's been sweet because I can interact with a lot of smaller groups of individuals in an ABF setting. And I've just really enjoyed those times as we've kind of reflected on what this position looks like, even the sense of calling that I've had to it, uh, you know, the the peace that I've had in coming to that decision. Um, so far, I've I visited three ABFs, and I think there's nine more on the docket, and I'm excited to keep doing that. It's been it's been a wonderful time of fellowship with lots of gracious people, and and I'm excited to continue down that road. Well, if you are here at Grace and you are not involved with an adult Bible fellowship, Adam referenced the ABS, uh, please make an effort to get to one of those. I know Adam will be able to go into more detail about what's going on in his life and what has led him even to uh, be interested in this this particular position. Adam, I do want to go to one point, and, and it's something that we, we talk about in the churches, we read about it in the scriptures, and that is about Paul says, appoint elders. There seems to be, and that, that is a theme throughout the letters, certainly, uh, these prison epistles, the uh, pastoral letters, and so forth. We talk about raising up leadership from within, and when we do that, we often think, well, that's the non-vocational elders like, like me or like others who have other jobs, but we don't regularly think of raising up ones for full-time service we're typically, if, if that happens in our church, we're typically sending them out. Can you just talk for a brief moment about the concept of raising up from within and how God is impressed upon you, even very experientially now, the, <laughs> that concept? Yeah. So I think a phrase that we use a lot here, you and I have used it, uh, we've used it as elders and just conversing with members, but there seems to be kind of a phrase that uh, describes the general governance of our church, as we see it clearly articulated in Scripture, and that's elder-led. 
uh, deacon served. I would insert staff supported, congregationally governed. And there's a sweet synergy that if we kind of stick to that model, there's a sweet synergy that the Lord is pleased to use in, in his church. And one of those is really just giving people that aren't necessarily, that haven't sensed clearly the call of, of God on their life to full-time vocational ministry, uh, that gives them an opportunity to get a taste for that. And for me, it was a little bit more than a taste <laughs> for a period no, of about two years. It was a whole meal that a lot of you didn't want. <laughs> yeah, but the Lord uh, was pleased to use that time of, of tumult and uh, to, and really just kind of wrestling with, okay, in what way do I fit in here and in what way can I use my gifts to really help um, to really clarify a lot of things. And I think that if you, if you have a church that, has a plurality of elders that includes these non-vocational individuals, I think that's incredibly important because it might be that the Lord has been preparing you as he did apparently with me, if if all goes the way it seems. When I was getting a PhD in math, Bart, you think I was thinking, oh, this is a good pathway. (laughs) This is exactly uh, how one should prepare for for full-time vocational ministry. Absolutely not. But the Lord... And his providence is far wiser than any plan that we could have laid out. And there were things, and I'd be happy to discuss this with anyone, literally, individually, uh, about how the Lord used all of those experiences and all of those uh, training, even in mathematics and in those specific realms, to, to leverage them for his purposes here. And you know what? Even if the church says no, praise the Lord. <laughs> It was something that I was supposed to see through. Um, maybe I needed to see it. Maybe my family needed to see it. Maybe the people of grace needed to see someone just being willing to say, you know what, I think, I think that I'm feeling as though God is calling me in this direction. But ultimately, it's the church that, that puts the final stamp of approval. Yes, this, this call is for real, and, and we want to affirm you in that. But again, that never would have happened if I wouldn't have had the opportunity to kind of engage in that way. And if we just said, no, we're going to let the experts, you know, the ones that have really kind of trained specifically for this task, do everything. Um, No, uh, the health of the church depends on raising up, you know, competent churchmen to serve in these ways. So it's been, it's been wonderful. Well, uh, the, for those, again, who are listening, uh, as one who has heard the whole story, I invite you and really plead with you to uh, grab Adam if you can't be in one of those uh, larger groups here in the next couple of weeks in the Adult Bible Fellowships or other meetings that we'll be having. Uh, you do need to hear the rest of the story. And I uh, look forward to Adam being able to share that with the rest of the church here in these coming weeks. So, Adam, what you have said, uh, you may have recognized or you may not have recognized it. It's a great segue into some of the things we're going to be talking about today here in verses 12 through 18 of chapter 1. We believe Paul to be in Rome at the time of this writing, and he's received the news of the church's struggles. Epaphroditus has delivered the uh, probably the letters and so forth that have come from Philippi. But Paul's response to them is not a plea for help. And I'm thinking if I'm in prison, in Roman prison, I'm probably saying, hey guys, help me out, get me out of here. 
uh, it's not a plea for help. It's not a plea for letters to be written to the government for an interview with a with a sympathetic investigative reporter or anything like that. It's not even Paul's resignation in the face of an unjust imprisonment. So he's worried about them. He's confident in his God. What kind of a man thinks this way? <laughs> Well, apparently Paul does, <laughs> and there's a lot of, I mean, if you just look at the evidence uh, in Scripture, this is the way that people used to think, uh, especially as the gospel was advancing. Uh, it, it really flew in the face of everything. I mean, you had the Roman government on the one hand, you had kind of the Jew- Jewish rulers who had kind of made their peace with the Roman government, and on the other hand, I mean, they were being hard-pressed on all sides. That is just the, the hard fact of the matter. And Paul, uh, you know, was part of one of those two groups at one point, and the Lord miraculously uh, pulled him out of that and said, stop persecuting my church, and I'm going to put you on the front lines of what's going on here. And... Uh, it just started to become normal in the way that Paul wrote, in the way that Peter wrote, in the way that all of these apostles would write to you know, various churches and to various people groups, that the expectation was that they would suffer. Uh, the Lord is pleased to have us kind of confirm our commitment to him by having us go through trials of various kinds. I mean, James 1, verse 5 says, count it all what? (laughs) Joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. That that doesn't make a lot of sense to us in this context. Now, uh, you know, we're in a very first world, you know, non-oppressive, freedom-oriented context. This is not the norm in the life of the church. In fact, you go almost anywhere else in the world right now, and that is not going to be the case. Uh, but what we read in Scripture is really what was the norm for most of the church's history. And in fact, I would say, Bart, at some point the church got corrupted. <laughs> you know, in the Middle Ages, uh, the church was very unified under the Catholic, Roman Catholic umbrella. And at some point, a disruptor comes in, <laughs> in 1517, and mm-hmm. the person of Martin Luther, he wasn't looking to be a disruptor, but he just said, you know what, there are some things in the scriptures that seem to run contrary to what's going on here. And the Lord blew the whole thing up again. He was pleased to have that happen. And the church, uh, the church was kind of reborn in a sense, right, through the Reformation era. And those people suffered. They suffered immensely. They lost everything. Uh, They lost their influence. A lot of them are, you know, paid the ultimate cost in being burnt at the stake or dying. Uh, one one uh, resource that I would commend to you is a book that we're reading with our kids called Heroes of the Reformation, and it tells a lot of these individual stories. And again, it just became normal once again that suffering was just part of becoming more like Christ. Christ suffered. Christ said, you will have trouble. You will have trouble. Christ said, blessed are you when you suffer for my namesake. That was part of the opening of the Sermon on the Mount. And so I think that what Paul is reflecting here in the end is really just a 
what used to be normal and that we, we really need to kind of reorient, reorient ourselves and come to a fuller understanding of a biblical theology of suffering. When you look at the, the letter, uh, the whole of the letter, all four chapters, you see, though, that Paul is talking to the Philippian church and the believers there who seem to have lost that idea that, hey, uh, God allows suffering for a purpose, mm-hmm. and we will suffer, but we need, Paul seems to be saying we need to embrace it for yeah. what it is, God's yeah. will. So part of what comes in here. Uh, we need to talk about the whole issue of joy. Yeah. So uh, joy is something in our culture we think of, we receive through circumstances. Mm-hmm. We get married, that brings us joy. We have children, that brings us joy. We have a great job, that brings us joy. We have money, whatever it might be. But Paul seems to look at it and proclaim the concept of joy differently. Can we talk about that a little bit? How does Paul look at joy? Is it an effect or is it something that we need to be doing it perhaps even in spite of the circumstances? Yeah, I thought that, uh, you know, as we were going through these first few verses in Philippians that Pastor Tim did a remarkable job of um, kind of giving us a full scope definition of what joy is. I mean, the word joy appears in this letter a number of times. Uh and I, the definition that I have written down here is joy is not an emotion, okay? So somewhat like how uh, right thinking on love is, love is not an emotion. It's ultimately a choice. Joy is not an emotion. It is a settled assurance and confidence in God, his control of every detail of our lives. So it's rooted in our confidence in his sovereignty. It's a quiet confidence that ultimately everything will be all right, <laughs> It is a determined choice to praise God in all things. It's an assurance of God's character and control of all things, a quiet confidence in his goodness, and it really is, in the end, a determined choice. Uh, part of that definition came from Kay Warren, Rick Warren's wife. And uh, I don't remember Tim saying this, but uh, I was reminded later on, I mean, Bart, they lost their son to suicide at the age of 27. And so this is not something that she's speaking of kind of off the cuff, uh, you know, as some abstract thing that she has not experienced. They lost their son after a 20-year battle of depression. And yet she is saying, I am choosing to have joy in the midst of, in the midst of this uh, lot of suffering and loss that I'm experiencing now. And Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Always. Uh-huh. And that is in the... Fun circumstances, what we would consider fun, that is in the difficult, the child committing suicide circumstances, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amazing. So it is a choice we make is what you're saying. That's exactly right. Yeah. It's just a settled confidence that, that ultimately God has brought about these circumstances for our good. Right. And Paul seems to be, Paul's very clear in that here in chapter one. He, and, and I think there evidently was some evidence from the Philippian church, perhaps Paul or Epaphroditus conveyed this to Paul that, hey, the people's really, people are really worried about you. Perhaps even as we might see in our society, somebody eat being unjustly treated and those loved ones who are watching this saying, hey, this is unfair. This is not good. God, God, what are you doing? Paul seems to set them straight. No, God knows exactly what he's doing. Yeah, yeah, right. And, and there very likely was a lot of injustice. I mean, it seems clear that there was injustice happening. And what Paul is saying is, 
The Lord is allowing that. And in fact, the most unjust act of all history was when his son was crucified on the cross. And that is the best thing that could have ever happened for us in terms of restoring restoring us to God through Christ's sacrifice on the cross. So we just have to trust that when things seem dire and things seem, things seem completely unjust and unfair, the Lord's at work. We can trust in that and we can have joy and confidence in him and his purposes. And then Paul demonstrates the concept and the, the mindset, okay, what am I going to do here? How am I going to use this suffering? Mm. Adam, I'm guessing, and in fact, I'm not only guessing, I know uh, from personal conversations that you and I have had that, that you have been through circumstances in your life uh, in which you were perhaps treated unjustly, uh, perhaps things didn't go the way you had planned, whatever it might be. Things happened that, that you either didn't plan on or, or perhaps you know, came at you again unjustly. Would you be willing to share a situation in your life in, in which you were able to find joy in spite of circumstances? Perhaps more importantly, how did you get to that point? Sure. Um, so there, are, of course, are a number of directions I could go with this. Um, one would be before we came to Cedarville, um, I, w I served on faculty at another institution, and there were some... Oh, some theological um, earthquakes that were happening in that setting. And when that kind of thing starts happening, especially especially in a non-church setting, you know, in, in kind of an academic setting, where you're not necessarily looking at people that, you know, you have covenanted with through church membership or whatever, um, there's just going to be things that are said or kind of put forward as, well, you know, Hammett thinks this, or this person thinks that, or Hammett said this, or, and I mean, it just, it was, it was discouraging. It was a great discouragement in a lot of ways. I won't go into a lot of details, but I will say that the Lord was good uh, throughout, through all of that, you know, to kind of clarify uh, the way I think about his word and particular doctrines, <laughs> even to Help me be more careful with the way that I speak <laughs> and who I speak certain things to, uh, you know, uh, making sure that I wasn't making the same kinds of errors that I felt other people were making, you know, being presumptuous about how things were going, going directly to the person. I mean, this is Matthew 18. You go directly to the person. I know that, that Matthew 18 is primarily for the church, but again, these are my brothers and sisters, presumably. So it's, it's just a good practice in general. I hear that someone has said something, you know, or I think, oh, that's not quite right. I go to that person directly and I, and I talk through it with them. And I mean, I won't go into a lot of other details, but I've had that same experience uh, in, in my family. In fact, a lot of that is kind of ongoing even right now. Um, I mean, the, my own family on my side, there's a fair amount of dysfunction there. I mean, that's just something that's existed for you know, decades. And, uh, you know, we've been through some things at the church as well. And I've been pleased to see the Lord kind of work differently in this context where I really am week after week seeing these people and having conversations with them. But our church went through some hard times. And uh, there were times where I would hear something and I'd think, what? I don't, I didn't, I didn't, where did that come from? I, don't think, I didn't say that or I didn't think that way. So, 
I mean, my encouragement would just be just from experiencing it myself, go to the person, have a conversation. Um, and this, this is something that really ought to kind of mark who we are as a church. And let's talk about suffering, okay? I, I jotted a note. I'm sitting there and where I typically sit on a Sunday morning, and I jotted a note to myself during the sermon that we sometimes waste our suffering. Mm-hmm. And we've, we've all heard that. Am yeah. I wasting my suffering? Your thought on that idea, Paul didn't waste his suffering. Mm-hmm. He went right after it. Uh, what we, so let's take it this way. Somebody listening today who is suffering, going through things that they didn't bargain for, they don't want, just as soon it go away. How can you respond to that person, or how do you respond to that person? This is how I would encourage you to deal with this. Yeah, I mean, like you said, the Lord will not waste our suffering. And I mean, this might be an uncomfortable truth, but uh, Scripture testifies to this. God allows perhaps even causes our suffering. I mean, we see that in Scripture over and over and over again, right? In some ways, this is the proving ground. Uh, it's, it's a way that he shapes our character. He shapes us more into Christ-likeness as we become like him in our suffering. But also, it's a way that we, um, you know, uh, it's, it's just, it, it really does kind of bring him an extra level of glory that he wouldn't have had otherwise. If things are going well in my life and I'm saying, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Well, that, that doesn't, that doesn't bring him glory in the same way that someone who loses a husband, someone who has a child walk away from the faith, someone who, uh, who loses a child to death. Uh, when they say, God be praised, even in this circumstance, I know that he is working all things together uh, for my good. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Always. That's right. Again, I say rejoice. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. So Adam, Paul talks in verses 14 through 18 about God's work being done because of and not in spite of Paul's suffering. So Tim mentioned, uh, Tim Cockrell mentioned on Sunday, the five men ministering in the 1950s to the Aka Indians there in Ecuador. We, many of us have heard that story. We've kind of grown up with that story. We can look at the churches and believers in China, Russia, Muslim dominated countries, uh, what seems to be we're hearing more and more about today. These are situations where believers are suffering. They're being, the, the thumb is being put on them. Mm-hmm. But God's work seems to be thriving yeah. in these places. Honestly, a lot more, it would appear, than perhaps it is in an open, free, open country like the United States of America. Yeah. What in the world is going on here? <laughs> well, <Or> there. <laughs> that's right. So in the early church, the thing that really proliferated the gospel and caused it to spread was persecution. Sometimes it's much easier to kind of hunker down, you know, even even if there is some kind of external uh, pressure being applied by governing bodies or what have you, but the Lord just seems pleased to whenever things are going well and we start to get comfortable, he's going to, he's going to make us uncomfortable. And, (laughs) and I can't help but think that we may be there eventually here in the United States. We've enjoyed an unprecedented level of freedom and comfort in praising the Lord. 
Uh, I'm so grateful that at Grace, we have a lot of examples of individuals that are going into hard areas. And uh, I want to be careful about who I even talk about here on the podcast, because some of them are ministering in areas that are just outright hostile to what's going on, and their lives could literally be at risk. But the Lord just seems to be pleased to kind of take those situations. Maybe he, maybe the churches just can't grow to a point of like out, outsized influence, and people continue to go out and multiply and things like that. That's why I'm so excited about some of the things that I'm hearing here, where it's like, man, Grace is amazing. It really is. This, this church is remarkable. The Lord is doing something here. We're growing. Uh, but I'm starting to feel this sense of, oh, wow, this is, this is comfortable. This is really good. The Lord, I think, is going to challenge us to not be comfortable. That's just the way that he operates in the world. We need to kind of move out, get out of our comfort zone, uh, take risks because he's worth it. <laughs> And we've seen that happening throughout the you know, uh, history of the church. And I think that we're going to start seeing that more and more here. Just We have cities that are dying, that have you know, uh, percentages of Christians that aren't even as high as what we see in Iraq or Iran. I mean, Christianity in some ways is dying in our urban centers. And so I think that churches like Grace and other like-minded churches, we're going to have to start thinking about not just those third world situations where there's hostility, but what on earth are we going to do here? We got to go into these areas and some of those areas like Boston, Salt Lake City, those are areas that are hostile to the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're going to need to get serious about that. We really are. And, and that's an exciting thing. That's not a scary thing. <laughs> And if you're listening here, and, uh, and I know some of the things that Adam is referencing, uh, we do have some uh, some initiatives that are that have begun and are beginning that we would uh, we were introducing from the platform each uh, each week and sharing with you. But if you're here at Grace, we would encourage you grab an elder and uh, ask what's going on and ask some ways that you can be involved in some of these initiatives that are really. Uh, I'd say cutting edge mm. in so many respects. Uh, one last thing I want to touch on, Adam. Um, you talk about we are perhaps entering an age here in our home area of the United States where we could be uh, gearing up for some suffering and some uh, some real persecution. Persecution mm. that we've you know we haven't experienced a whole lot of persecution in the American church uh, recently. But uh, what are some things that the average Joe, Joe Pusetter, or, you know, the average church member can be doing to prepare for that? Well, personally, I, I love to read. And uh, one thing, and, and I love to read the Word of God. That's important because in, in some sense, we see uh, a kind of a history of how people have suffered well, including the Lord Jesus. But you see these apostles writing and talking about how they have, you know, um, encourage the, the church and how they have grown and been encouraged in the faith, sometimes because of the suffering that they've experienced. But I would also go further and say, read biography. Uh, that's something that I, in just recent years, have gotten very serious about. Uh, I have some 
you know, some brothers that are here at this church. I think of Zach Bowden, for instance, a church historian. Uh, you know, Jason Lee really encouraged me to this end. Billy Marsh. And I really got serious about reading biography and, and reading it to my kids as well, just so that, so that they see, no, this is, the, this is the norm. This is how the Lord works. Uh, what we experience in this setting is not normal. <laughs> we expect suffering. Another thing that I would uh, uh, you know, ask you to do is, is look for articles or things on the internet that are about the suffering church, things that are actually happening now. Uh, there's one that I recalled. It's, called, uh, it, it's actually an article and podcast by uh, Sarah Ekoff Zilstra on uh, the Gospel Coalition website. It's called Escape from Kabul. And it talks about the, the church in Afghanistan mm-hmm. from its roots, which literally come from nothing. I mean, God just did something in people's hearts, drew them to himself, got the word of God in their hand. They become believers. The church starts. And, and then they really started to suffer immensely because it's a, a Muslim-dominated country, but also in the, when we pulled our troops out of out of uh, Afghanistan. I mean, that just brought a new level of persecution that they had not anticipated. I'll just read this last paragraph from, uh, from the transcript. There's also a podcast you can listen to. That, and uh, this is one of the pastors that was working with these brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. He said, it's a glorious story because these brothers and sisters held to their faith. They were faithful. They were going to be faithful until the end. They were willing to pay the highest cost, and the Lord rescued them. It's absolutely glorious. And the Lord did what he has done many times over for his people in, in, in this story. Obviously, we'll know the full ramifications of it in eternity, but it's been such a privilege to see what the Lord has done. I want to observe people's lives that have made it, Bart. <laughs> That's one reason I love this church. It's intergenerational. We have 100-year-olds down to babies, experiences all across the spectrum, people who have suffered and suffered well. And I want to learn from those individuals. That's why I love hanging out with the men's prayer breakfast guys. <laughs> those guys have... There's a story or two floating that's around right. there. That's right. That's exactly right. And, uh, and when I read these biographies or read these stories about brothers and sisters overseas, you really see these are people that the Lord is sustaining and who have made it? Praise the Lord. I need that kind of encouragement. I certainly don't want to be discouraging, but I think it bears to be uh, stated. I've heard it said, maybe not exactly in this way, but the greatest fertilizer for the church is the blood of the martyrs. That's exactly right. Yeah. And, uh, and the difficulties we experience, it will God will use that mm-hmm. to increase his glory and mm-hmm. to increase the church. Amen. Amen. Adam, hey, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate that. Appreciate the step that you're taking, the testimony that you are portraying, you and Rachel both, as you seek God's will in these coming weeks. I appreciate that, Bart. Thank you. Well, we've been digging deeper today with Adam Hammett, and you can access Grace Sermons and podcast episodes 
Look back. Adam's been on several of them. If you want to pull him up, you can access those on demand by visiting gracecedarville.org on the World Wide Web and clicking the media tab. We also encourage you to share your questions and comments with us each week by emailing them to contact at gracecedarville.org. That's contact at gracecedarville.org. Plan to join us next time. We'll be continuing our discussion of God's Word as we finish up Chapter 1 in Philippians. And until we meet again, I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, thanking you for tuning into this episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. Deeper in Grace. Digging Deeper in Grace is a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Visit us online at gracecedarville.org and join us next time as we continue our discussion. In the meantime, we invite you to continue digging deeper in grace as you read God's Word.